how you interpret economic data has about as much to do with you as it does with the underlying data themselves. Take the October employment report that was released earlier this month as an example. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the American economy added 638,000 jobs in October. That number would have been even higher, but for the fact that the Census Bureau cut 147,000 temporary positions as it finalized its once-in-a-decade count of America's population. As indicated by writer Deal Irwin, if one were to exclude those losses, the nation would have added 785,000 net new jobs, which represents a significant improvement over the number of jobs added in September. At that adjusted rate of job growth, the economy will return to its pre-pandemic levels of employment in another 13 months. The unemployment rate fell by a full percentage point in October to 6.9%. That all sounds pretty good. But alas, there are those among us who will tend to focus on less upbeat data. For instance, in October, the number of long-term unemployed, those out of work for more than half a year, rose by 50% to 3.6 million and now accounts for approximately a third of total unemployment. As always, there are enough data to accommodate just about any perspective. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. Writer Eric Murath points out that the labor market's recovery from earlier stages of the pandemic has been uneven across demographic groups. For instance, Hispanic men have benefited from substantial employment gains in certain industries, but women, especially from racial minority groups, lag behind. Pandemic-driven shutdowns were especially severe in the restaurant, hospitality, and retail segments, which disproportionately cost African-American and Hispanic women their jobs. Meanwhile, Caucasian males, who are more likely to hold office jobs that can shift to remote work, have fared the best among demographic groups. But in October, Hispanic males nearly caught up with white men in terms of the pace of employment recovery. Data indicate that Hispanic men collectively held 4.7% fewer jobs than in February, the month prior to the implementation of widespread economic lockdowns. White males collectively held 4.5% fewer jobs. The progress is largely due to the fact that Hispanic men are overrepresented in certain growing sectors, including warehousing, which has added 60,000 jobs nationally since February among the strongest gains of any industry. Last year, more than 32% of those employed in this sector were Hispanic. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. It is possible for an economy to flourish even in the midst of a global pandemic. One of the world's finest examples is Taiwan. The nation of 23 million people is among the most advanced in the world and expanded with unexpected speed through the summer and early fall. As indicated by the Wall Street Journal, the nation's gross domestic product was 3.3% higher during the third quarter than it was a year ago, the highest figure in more than two years. The result positions Taiwan on track to be one of the few major world economies to expand this year. The remarkable result vindicates decisions made by officials during the early stages of the pandemic to enforce strict COVID-19 controls. That nation hasn't reported a case of local transmission in more than 200 days. The island nation has recorded a total of less than 600 COVID-19 cases and seven deaths over the course of many months.
Taiwan's ability to contain infection has resulted in an economy that has managed to reopen, including factories that are churning out exports. Like many islands, Taiwan depends heavily upon exports, and those are up 3.5% from a year earlier in real terms, driven by global demand for semiconductors and other technologies. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. As indicated by The Economist magazine, many nations generated absurdly elevated economic growth rates during the third quarter. As an example, America's gross domestic product or GDP expanded by 7.4% compared with the second quarter, which translates into an annualized rate of growth exceeding 33%. Output in the euro area grew even faster on a quarterly basis by nearly 13%. But with winter's arrival, there remains plenty of reason for gloom and doom. While most of the global economy bounced back during the summer and early fall, there are indications that economies have begun to stall as infection rates have skyrocketed. The Economist crafted an index of real-time economic activity. That index suggests that America's recovery has effectively come to a halt. Europe, which has an even higher number of infections, is faring worse. Activity in Britain and France appears to have peaked in September, and performance is set to slip given that England, France, and Germany have recently returned to varying degrees of economic lockdowns. Restaurants in Ireland have more or less been closed since lockdowns there took effect on October 21st. Accordingly, GDP is set to decline in much of the world during the current quarter. For WIPR and my producer, Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu. America's restaurant sector has been among the hardest hit by the lingering pandemic. As indicated by writer Eduardo Porter, by August's final day, more than 32,000 restaurants and 6,400 bars and night spots that had been open as of March 1st were marked closed on Yelp. In New York City, arguably, the nation's dining out capital, a survey conducted by the Hospitality Alliance, found that 87% of restaurants were not able to pay all of their August rent. Out of desperation, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, newly formed to lobby for the survival of restaurants not affiliated with large chains, sent a letter to Congress in June indicating that America risks permanently losing as many as 85% of its independent restaurants by the end of 2020. Downtown restaurants in large American cities are suffering the most, and it is urban America that relies most heavily upon restaurants as the glue that helps hold society together. These are the gathering spots for diverse societal elements. Last year, restaurants, bars, food trucks, and other dining outlets represented at least 47% of the food budget of consumers in cities with populations above 2.5 million. The corresponding figure in the early 1970s was 28%. For WIPR and my producer Luke Spicknall, I'm Aniban Basu.